So uh, let me share just how I want to proceed. And like I said, it's great to see all of you, but I want to I want to sort of go at this in a certain way. And I want you to kind of understand how we're going to do it. I want to first uh, share some reflections on the value of what I call a happy, joyful attitude. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Then I'm going to, I want to have a shift into what is a pretty intense Bible teaching that isn't frequently covered. And it has to do with the unique makeup of the early church and the kind of dynamics that they had going on, uh, particularly around uh, coming together of many different types of people to share their love for Jesus, but it was something that really created a lot of fascinating relational interaction. You know, I'll talk about it in a moment. And then also I'm gonna then take that teaching from the scripture that we're gonna look at, apply it to us in the sense of trying to get us to think about how this might work in our workplace culture, regardless of where we work or how we do our work. I mean, even those of us who are more self-employed, we interact with customers, and vendors, some of us have clear-cut reporting lines, some of us oversee things, people, large groups of people, others of us could be, like I said, students working or homemakers primarily, uh, some of us are a combination of a number of things, but I'm gonna just going to assume that there are principles that we can take from this passage and apply it into our culture of work. And then I like to finish with a um, take-home principle that Jesus gave us. So I'd like us to leave with that principle in our mind that Jesus taught us and then just sit with it and take it home. So recently, uh, Cheryl, my wife, and I, uh, we, we uh, were, you know, we'll do this every now and then. We, this neighborhood is constantly changing now. It's just, you know, I've been here, you know, here at the church now for over three decades, uh, really more than that. And I've watched it in, actually, my whole life. That's five decades. Uh, I, I watched it change in, in different iterations. And uh, this is a unique time, new time in the city. And, you know, there's new stores opening up, new shops all the time. New, there was a new ice cream parlor that opened up, uh, ice cream shop, I don't know what they call it. it. It was a store, it was on the front, it was a corner. It was a block away. All right, so we wanted to go check it out. And so, uh, there was an, it was a time of the day when there wasn't too many people there and, and, and it had just opened up and we, you know, we went in and we said, hey, so tell us a little bit about it. We, we were greeted. I, what I remembered about it, and I said to my wife, I said, man, we, we walk in there and we were greeted with such enthusiasm, right? It was almost like, wow, you know, and there was a smile and the, the, the guy at the counter was really proud of his product, right? And he started telling us about it. We were asking questions. And I mean, he just, I just, he was, I was impressed with how much, I said, are you, are you an owner? He said, no, no, but I love this. Goes, Let me tell you how, this, how ours is different than everybody else. He was really getting into it, right? Next thing I know, we're taking pictures together. And I mean, it was like, it was amazing. So I, I say that because, you know, I, I, he didn't have, he wasn't an owner, but he had a heart of an owner. And, you know, and on top of that, he was just really happy. I mean, he walked in and he smiled. When we walked in, he was smiling at us. And who doesn't like a smile, right? Smiles make a huge difference. Have you ever gone to a, a restaurant or a coffee house or whatever, home, anywhere? I can, with happy intentions, right? I came. Only to be greeted by, and don't be offended, 
but only to be greeted by stone face, right? Nothing, nothing. Grumpy, irritated, unenthusiastic, clearly having a bad day, uh, or maybe just an unhappy worker. But the bottom line is, you I mean, part of me is wanting to go, hey, you know, I, I'm, like, I'm like your customer. You know, you could be nice to me, me, maybe a little bit, smile. Maybe can, we, can we get a, what did I do wrong? I just came in, I just came in. I didn't mean anything. I didn't do it, I was just saying a hi. Can you be nice? No. All right, what do you want? Uh, now, my wife says it's because she said we were talking, we were laughing, and says, well, it's, and I told her, I go, you know what I think it is, hon? It's because I, me, I don't have a naturally smiley face. That's what I said to her. I said, you know, I, don't, I wasn't born with what I call a happy face. Now, some of you, <laughs> some of you, like the Lord made you with a happy face, right? It's like you have a happy face. In fact, you know, I just want you to do this. Kind of look around. Act, no, do this. Turn to more than a few people and say, hey, hey, do I have a happy face? Come on, go for it. Just say it, come on. Hey, do I have a happy, go, go for it. Do I have a happy face? Come on. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's great. Now, <laughs> now, those of you who do, who have a happy face, right? You have, and again, my laugh, wife and I were laughing about it. I go, I go, they have a total advantage. <laughs> happy face have an advantage, right? It's like, you could be having a bad day, but your naturally happy face saves you, right? It's like, no one knows. I, on the other hand, did not get rolled out with such a gift, right? And a couple of years back when I was having a, a rough patch in my life, I was coming off of that sabbatical, I was not really feeling great. You know, I, 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 you know, I decided when I was going to come back, I was going to be a happier version of myself. That's what I said. I was going to, like, um, I don't know, I, rather than project how I was feeling, which wasn't great at the time, I was instead going, and, and, by, and by projecting it, I knew that whatever you project, you reinforce. You understand that, right? Whatever I project, if I project bad my, how I'm feeling and I'm feeling well, I'm reinforcing that in me. If same, that's the power of words. This happens in families, critical relationships. I talk about it all the time because it's so biblical. Whatever we speak out, we create inside of us. Words are the power of life and death. You want to love something more? Speak into it lovingly. You want to diminish it? Curse it. That's what Jesus said. Here's the thing. A lot of us don't mean it, but we're cursing things God wants us to be speaking life into. And sometimes intimacy is an excuse to get reckless with our words. We can spend a lot of time right there. Right there. But I was telling myself, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back different. I'm going to try to go engage, even though I don't have a naturally happy face. I'm going to try to engage the environment with more preemptive joy. That's what I was telling myself. So I walk in, and I started making it an effort. I said, hey, I come in. The first thing I do is I smile. Hey, how you doing? How's your day going? Hi. And then I would play this, this one. Um, what's your favorite? What are your top three? Oh, right, and I start talking. All the next thing I know is, is we're having a conversation, right? And sometimes, you know, someone will say to me, oh, well, aren't you faking? Like, and maybe a couple years ago, I would have said, yeah. 
But I said, you know what? I'm not faking, I'm making. I'm making room for his joy in my life. I'm making an environment better, and everyone, including myself, is getting to win here. So all of us natural, non-happy facers, let us shine a bit more. And all you happy facers, use your advantage. Use your advantage card. Shine out his joy. Put the gift into play. So attitude is something that I want to come back to a little bit later. Now I'm going to shift into what is a pretty intense teaching in the scripture. It's power-packed. It's going to be extraordinarily controversial in light of the things that we are wrestling with in our culture, but I want us to understand it out of a context. Here's something very important. I know not everyone would know this, wouldn't necessarily expect everyone to, but some of us do. The Bible, especially the New Testament, in particular the New Testament is what I'm talking about, which has to do with the life of Christ and then how the church emerges and how the church is to live and how we as followers of Jesus are to model ourselves after his example and what the, what the scriptures teach us and how to be a follower of the Lord, a Christian. That church was birthed as when Jesus came into this world, he came into this world at a time that was not just any time in human history. It came at a time of unique uh, coming together of certain factors that created an environment for uh, a quick movement of things. Uh, the Roman Empire had covered most of the known world at the time. They had exercised what was known as the Pax Romana. They used warfare and certain techniques to overtake and conquer large swaths of territory. North Africa, the middle, what we would call today the Middle East, uh, of course, majority of Europe, including the lands that were sometimes referred to as the barbarian lands of what is now today Germany and England, and even to some level France. They pushed all the way to the borders, reaching all, it was a vast, powerful, overwhelming. And Roman, Greco-Roman culture was dominant. Jesus is born in that time. The early church, after the resurrection of Jesus, emerges in that same environment. The Apostle Paul, I'm not gonna go into this in detail, has this unique burden for non-Jewish peoples to come to know Jesus, they call Gentiles. As a result, you have, as the church starts to emerge, you know, many people, Jews, who were believing in Jesus as Messiah, all the apostles were Jewish, and also then a large group of Gentile, non-Jewish people beginning to come, and they were sharing a common faith in Jesus. What's more, you had other types of people coming together as well. Once they opened up to the message of Jesus, received him as their savior, acknowledged him as the risen one, and embraced him as their Lord, what would happen is they would come together in community. Well, what, what started to occur was something that the world had never seen before. For the first time, you had people who, because in, Ro in, in, in Rome, uh, as it was the case in Greece, and honestly, as was the case in almost every civilization in the world, there was some form of slavery. And Roman slavery was different maybe than what we might identify as American slavery, which was an ob obviously an awful, degrading institution that, that we are ashamed of as a nation at the same time. It's why we are grateful that at least a war was part, at least partially, to change that situation, why, people, why a president like Abraham Lincoln is so highly honored in our country's history. Having said that, in Roman culture, slavery is a little bit different 
you had slaves that were oftentimes highly educated. They were sometimes called bond servants. And sometimes they could be doctors and even policemen. And, and it, it was a very different system. But here's the thing we need to remember. Paul's writing to the early church where this is a reality. And so for the first time in history, you had people coming together who would never have come together. And it created these very fascinating kind of dynamics. You could sometimes have, imagine having a servant or a slave who was the leader of a church community. And someone who comes, who is a master of a household, is sitting under that person learning the way of Jesus. All this, this never had happened. And all of a sudden, they're going to wrestle with the implications of what all that means. Soldiers coming together with others, you know, it's just every, you're going to see it. Look at the passage. So I'm going to take us a little quick road through the scripture here. You can see it in your handout. It's, I'm going to read from the book of Colossians. I just want to kind of like move through this, sort of set the table for something. Paul writes, do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here in this place, in this community, in this place of believers, there is not, he says, we're not identifying ourselves as Greeks and Jews and circumcised, uncircumcised. He even uses the word barbarian here, which would have meant for them a foreigner, an uncivilized one, and a Scythian, which was kind of like Eurasian nomads who were noted for their savagery kind of like a savage, so like foreigners and savages. We don't go by these labels, slave and free. Whoa. But Christ is all and all and in all. We're all one in him. So I want you to put on then as God's chosen ones, set apart, holy, beloved, loved of God. I need you to act this way towards one another. Exercise compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. This is how I want you to treat one another. If one has a complaint against another, I need you to forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The idea is that the church of Jesus was to emphasize commonality in Christ and unity in Christ above everything. You hear that? And this is important, even for even like what's going on now for, all, for many of us. And again, I'm making the assumption that we hear this through the lens of where we are. But if we're sincerely following Jesus, and that's, a heart, that's our desire, then these words have even more import and meaning. Because he's saying your identity, firstly, needs to be in Jesus, in, in, in Christ, more than in our ethnicity, more than in our cultural identification, more than in our na national identity, more than in our social status. Some of us take great pride in our standing, our pedigree, perhaps even, our achievements. I don't know, right? This is, this is my family, you know, whatever. He's saying is all of these things, the way we work, what kind of, look, all of these things, he says, it's not demeaning their distinctiveness that we are. What he's saying is for a person who claims to love Jesus and has him in their lives, that this takes precedent over all those things. And then watch what he says. He goes on to say this, and he, he elaborates a little bit, one more um, amplification to the letter to the, the Galatian church. Galatians 3, 26 is also in your hand out there. He says, for you are all children of God. You can see it. Through faith in Christ Jesus. He's writing to believers. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism. By the way, baptism is important. Water baptism is important. Some of us have been following the Lord for a little while. We've never been baptized in water. It's a public identification with Jesus. Saying, I'm identifying you in your death, 
burial, and resurrection. And I'm coming out with my heart open to you in ways, this, I'm, I'm, I'm letting it be known publicly that I am part of the family of Jesus. Not, it, that what's happened inside of my life already is now being evidenced out. You know what's interesting is that Jesus said, the one who believes and is baptized, he talked about that, and then he himself modeled it. It means something, and I've talked to some people, and they said, you know, I, I'm kind of older, and I really don't, it's kind of humbling, and I really, I really get down to it, it's just that it's, it's humbling. And I think that makes it even more significant. If we love him, we'll identify with him. I would encourage some of us who have never been baptized to consider being baptized, going through the class. It's, it's not that difficult to do. You can sign up and then going for it. All right, having said that, look what it says here. It says, like putting on new clothes, right? It's just like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. He's, he's saying, for you all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you're true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. Just like you're part of a lineage of faith and God's promises to Abraham, the same ones he gave, they belong to you. You're part of that, that, that heritage of spiritual faith and life. And so, again, I don't think it's, it's denying our distinctives. Um, I think what it has to do with is, is amplifying what unites us. I don't think I've been able to identify that better in any service than I just did right there with this one. It's not about saying these things don't matter. What it is saying is this matters most. See the difference? And one more thing about that. Let us be grateful for who we are and what we are, but obviously within the context of what the Bible describes as being morally healthy and where the scripture contradicts the culture, listen, we are to submit to the scripture, not ask the, the scripture to submit to the culture. That means at times we will be countercultural, and that's okay. That's okay. I can, only I can only imagine, though, when, when believing slaves, bond servants, read this, whether it was in Colossae or Galatia, you know, they, they went like this. Just stay with me. They said, well, man, there's no distinction here. That's great. We're all the same in God's eyes. And it's been said, at the foot of the cross, there's, the ground is level, right? But the truth was, <laughs> when they looked at it, they could say it. Yeah, we're all one. But the truth is, it, when they left that community, when they left their gathering, they all had to deal with the fact that in their real world, they were still in these situations and they couldn't change them. And no matter how, how beautiful that truth was for them, it came into clash with the real world reality. And they had to deal with that. They had to wrestle with that. Like, what does that mean? We are all one in Christ, but when we walk outside, we've got these other issues we've got to wrestle through. So, this is a, so Paul, writing not to try to justify anything, simply describing this is the situation we find ourselves in. It's not going to change right away. He says, here's how I would like you to operate within the context of what is clearly not a great situation at all. Watch what he says at the end of Colossians 3. And this is that last big portion of scripture they put in that second column. Again, you can follow on your Bibles or your Bible apps, but here it is right there. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He's saying the people you, who, who basically who's under your charge, but not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing, honoring the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Don't do it for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, the inheritance as your reward because you are serving the Lord Christ. Listen, the wrongdoer, they're going to be paid back for the wrong they have done. There is no partiality when it comes to God. We all stand the same way. Masters, in turn, I need you to treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you are going to be 
answering to God. Right, so, the, so look, the scriptures never say, I need to say this, they never say it's wrong to want to change an evil institution or a bad situation. It's just reminding us that there's a, an even higher law that has everything to do with our freedom. Essentially what it, he is saying is this, and I'm going to have them put this up. He's essentially making this case. Followers of the Lord are responsible for their attitude, our actions, our words, regardless of the situation we find ourselves in. Listen, even when it is unfair or institutionally degrading. He's saying, don't ever let that define you. Remember who you are first in Christ. No one, no one can control our heart, our words, our attitudes. You don't do it for men, Paul says. No, you do it under the Lord. You work for the Lord as a different thing altogether. Now, I want to shift that. That's the T. A lot of us are wondering, well, where, how does that really relate to faith and work? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. And I'm going to answer that right now. All right, here we go. Because although 21st century employees in a free enterprise system are not accustomed to viewing themselves as bond servants or our employers as masters. <laughs> in fact, though, for some of us, I will say this, for some of us, the leverage has actually shifted dramatically. I talked to my son and one of my, my oldest son, and we were having this conversation. And there's a free agency out there. And that changes things. Leverage shifts at certain times. But the principles in these verses, they can so easily be applied to our modern, ever-changing, increasingly sophisticated workplace. Now stay with me. I want this to apply no matter what kind of work we do. Because in the eyes of the Lord, all work is honorable if it's done honestly. Who do we work for? If we love him, we work for him. Some of us may work for people, for example, who, if I can put it this way, honestly, they're not nice. Maybe they're selfish. Maybe we have people who oversee us or up the chain are arbitrary or petty or they're critical, like hypercritical. Or when they get mad, they just take it out on us, demean us. Um, Maybe some of us feel that even in a company that treats us somewhat well, we're really only valuable to them because we're an end to a means, a uh, means to an end, right? A means to an end. Not really because they care really about us. We're kind of interchangeable. So what is our responsibility? What do we, how do we respond in such a situation? What is our attitude to be like? You know, when you find yourself in a situation where you don't enjoy your work, what do you, what do, you do? Or when people who are... You're, responsible, you got to report to, they don't treat you well. What do you do? We've been wrestling with this. A lot of us have. What does it mean to follow the Lord and have to deal with that environment? Do we, what is our attitude like? Like, what is our attitude like? Um, do we join with others when they complain and murmur behind the back? It's like, yeah, that dude's a nut, you know, whatever. I agree. Right? Do we secretly plot to contribute, if at all possible, to their demise? The saboteur behind the scenes, the Count of Monte Cristo. 
waiting, counting my days. And if the opportunity arises and I get to hurt you the way you've just been hurting me, I will do it. <laughs> do we slack off because we say, you know what? This is such a poor working environment. People are so, treated so peer, poorly here, exploited here. I'm taken advantage of here that, you know what? When I'm not being watched, I don't work great. I don't work that well. I do less than quality work. Do I justify it because they're not nice people? Or he's not a, she's not a nice person, or he's not a nice person? Okay, maybe some of us will say, well, and this is hap- this, I, this kind of happened. Well, you don't know my boss. You don't know what working for her is like. Or, he has such high expectations, and he treats me disrespectfully, talks down to me. I don't like the guy. He really bugs me. I'll do what I have to do, but I'll never go the extra mile for him. Never. And when I get a chance, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I don't care how many free lunches and dinners I get and the discounts and the transportation allowance and the super cool facility with the ah, sleeping pods and the creative workspaces and the trendy chairs and that really good cafeteria with the great co- I don't really don't care. Well, I care a little bit about those things, but I don't care enough to stay here for those things. Look, listen. We can all leave our jobs. I'm not saying that we don't feel like sometimes we're trapped. Some of us can feel that way. I get that. There are reasons. I got so much on me, I can't make that move. I hate it here. I'm stuck. Lord, help me. I'm capped, but I have no options. Um, I will say this, the people Paul was writing to, they had no options. Some of them, this was their life. It wasn't like, well, I don't like my scenario situation here, so I'm going to go try. No, it was, that was it. And so when he's talking, he's saying, look, all, if that was true for them, it's true for us. We are all responsible for our attitudes our actions, and our ethic. These principles apply. Now, quickly, and I mean quickly because, well, some of us also find ourselves in situations where it's so hard for us even to to be open about our love for the Lord. We are in a cultural environment that's very intimidating. I know because I've talked to some of you, either because of the sheer godlessness of it, if I can put it that way, or the almost aggressive, anti, ferocious, anti-Christian attitude exhibited in subtle and not-so-subtle ways, we may feel that if we speak up or dare to question acceptable group think, that then we will be punished, held back, marginalized, stigmatized, maybe even passed by, and it is possible. Many of us feel like we, and I've asked enough questions to know this, we feel like we are expected to participate in acceptable public social expressions, many of which carry overt political overtones, but listen, at the same time, to keep any faith that we might have in Jesus utterly private and unexpressed. And yet the Bible clearly teaches us this. 
And I asked them if they can put this up. It clearly teaches us that we are not to be ashamed of Jesus, his gospel, or our love for him. I'm going to put up two verses on the heels of this, one of which is pretty clear, and the other one is super intense, and they came from the mouth of Jesus. The first one, Romans 1.16, a verse I learned just as a new believer in Jesus. One of the first ones I memorized, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus. It's the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes. And then Paul says to the Jew and the Greek, Jew first and the Greek also. And then look at what Jesus said. Oh, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sin, whoa, whew, and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Clearly, loved ones, we are not to be ashamed of Jesus. We must be willing to take a stand for him when required. And if so, may we be courageous. And yet, hear me, we are to be thoughtfully courageous. Not to be reckless and foolish. There is no virtue in thoughtless courage. Look what Jesus, okay, look what Jesus said. Now we're going to, this is the last verse we're sharing, and check it out. Look what he says. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So you need to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And there is a certain sense that in this world that we live in and in this culture that we live in, innocence is devoured. The naive are eaten alive. And by the way, when Jesus made the picture, he couldn't have used a, a better way of... Look, there is nothing, and we've talked about it before, there is nothing, no animal more vulnerable than a sheep. A sheep, think about it, they don't have anything. They don't have claws. They don't have teeth. They don't have, you know, we got wildlife in San Francisco, raccoons and skunks and all kinds. Of, they don't have odor capacity. They just have, it was last night, it was so funny, I wasn't even thinking about it. I said, you know, they have fur, right? And I meant wool, but it came out fur. But sheep have wool. And that wool, you think, oh, that protects. No, actually, sheep get, first, they're not smart, so they didn't even get that. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, oh, maybe, I don't know. Secondly, they get stuck so easy, right? They're just walking around, wandering around, and next thing you know, they're stuck in a bush, right? They can't get out, right? Uh, right? They're stuck. They can't get out. This is right there. They, it's all they say, help, right? It's just like stuck. Utterly vulnerable to a predator, a wolf. Jesus says, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, he says that knowing that he himself is going to be the utter example. He's going to get devoured by a wolf pack. He already sees that coming, right? He knows, man, they are going to tear me apart. The Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And it's going to get real ugly for me. Real ugly. If you're the son of God, ripped apart from all parts, spit on, demeaned, torn apart, the wolf pack on him. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. And then watch what he does. 
he flips the metaphor. Whew. And he says, but I want you to be, oh, interesting, he's talking to his disciples. I need you to be, listen to me, I need you to be as wise as serpents and as innocent and gentle as doves. Now, serpent, that's an interesting thing he refers to because it, it, in a way, it's like usually when he talks about a, a serpent, it, it's like a negative, right? Very rarely is it something that's used in a positive way. Um, a serpent is typically something that is feared, right? But the way Jesus is using it is positive, and he's basically saying in the same way that that serpentine, that serpent moves is subtle and swift and unnoticed and underestimated, patient and purposeful, cunning, uh, noted for their quickness and sensing danger, their capacity to pull back or strike. It's like a very, he's using the image in a very different way. It's like st very strategic, thoughtful and sensitive, right? And, and he's saying, and here's what I want us to be aware of. We, those who would follow the Lord, we are to be a wise people, right? Perceptive, strategic people, if at all possible, problem solvers, not problem contributors, we're to bring trust and honesty and solutions because that's what we do because we work for someone. And that someone is the Lord. That's who we do it for. We need to be the people that can be trusted, who are, whose word meet, that we don't have to have someone watching us because we live under a different rule and way that we're not looking to create more problems but we're helping to solve those problems. And may the Lord fill us with wisdom to do it. When I say increase our wisdom capacity, I mean, that's a large part of what we're going to be doing here. These next few weeks, we're going to be zeroing in on how do I create wisdom for operating in very complex environments? How do I represent the Lord? Because the second part of that verse is, and I want you to be as wise as a serpent, and I want you to be as innocent and as gentle as a dove, right? And that's that last, that fourth one which is a reminder that we are to come into a situation and to be an innocent people, essentially harmless, gentle, compassionate, kind, and peaceful. That are, we, as much as possible, we're not to make things worse. We're to try to tap this. We're trying to be peaceable, right? Bring it down. Look, as much as lies within me to be as much of a peace as I can. To be, so there's, what, a, what a fascinating combination. On the one hand, strategic, thoughtful. Lord, give me wisdom to sense what's actually happening here. Prayerful, thoughtful, trying to assess the situation, being very careful about how I'm acting in it. At the same time, Lord, keep my spirit to, to let I do no harm. I do no harm. That I'm known as a kind person. Whoa, that's a... It's really, you look at that, you go, wow. You know, one of the ways to increase your wisdom quotient, just a quick, quick thing to mention about it, you can do it for, listen, they all kind of, you can get all kinds of fad diets and quick things, trainings and stuff like that. If you want to increase your wisdom, like a quick shot of wisdom injection, <laughs> the 31-day plan. There are 31 Proverbs in the Bible, Psalms, Proverbs. Those 31, you can read one a day for a month and say, Lord, you, and then you take, I would encourage you to take one, read it from a classical translation and then kind of like a modern one, like more modern one, like a, a New Living Translation. And read them and just say, Lord, saturate me with wisdom for the environment that I'm in. And let some of these things that I'm reading settle into my soul. Okay? In the coming weeks, the Bible, I'll leave it with this. The Bible has so many examples in the Older Testament of 
kind of like of people who had to be in very difficult places and live out their faith. People like Joseph and Esther and the one that we're going to spend a few weeks with as a case study, Daniel. Daniel's an amazing figure. He has to function in, in a changing empire. He's, he's been brought into a captive place. Uh, he's a foreigner. He, he has to adapt to a culture that does not in any way understand his love for God. He has to walk with skill, thoughtfulness. It's a, it's a, it's a dangerous environment. He has expectations on him. He has to know, when do I draw my lines? Where do I draw my lines? How can I, how do I, what can I compromise? What can I not compromise? All these things, man. So when we talk about work as way, we're going to get into that. That's where we're going in the weeks ahead. But in the meantime, may the Lord keep our attitudes right. In fact, let me just go ahead and pray. I'll pray over this time that we've just shared. Even now, Lord, I ask that what we've just shared, as we've thought about, at least in some beginning way, what it means to work your way. I want to be a people who, are not defined by our environments, but instead because of what you've done in our lives and who we ultimately work for, which is you, if we claim you or have allowed you to claim us. Then how we live, how we work, how we act, how we react has to do with our love for you and the guidance of your words. Help us to be happy. Help us to be strategic grow our wisdom capacity, and then also grow our compassion so we're not either using people or angry at people. I just pray for more of you in our lives, Lord. That's what I'm really asking for. May that be what it is for all of us. This is what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, God.